Well, tonight we are going to be studying the three judgments. Amen. Uh, I have taught a similar study some time ago, and I thought it would be good in this day and age to go over uh, God's plan and an aspect of his plan that many times many have not uh, been aware of. So we're going to look at um, Keon tonight, the Greek word for judgment. John chapter 5 verse 22 says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now that word in the New Testament comes in uh, several different flavors with slightly different meanings. And I called it the first time I taught this the three Ks. And the words in the Greek are krino, crisis, and krima. And we're going to go into the meaning of those. Amen. So krino means to judge in the sense of when you're testing something, uh, a sense of a probationary trial or testing or a court proceeding, but not in the sense of a decision. It's more of the ongoing process of what's happening uh, during a, a trial. And then the th- second word, crisis, is the point of decision-making or a choice or a verdict or a separating. It's the, it's the point of decision-making, crisis. And, of course, it's where we get our uh, modern English word, crisis. And then the last uh, word that comes that is translated judge or judgment, which is also related, is called krima. And that is the actual uh, post-judgment phase where somebody is condemned. That's where we get the, the word criminal from. It's after the judgment has been pronounced. So we have three words in the New Testament related to judgment. Krino, which means to test or the, the trial. Crisis, which is the point of decision or verdict. And krima, which is the point where the decision or the judgment has been passed. And now we're in a state of condemnation or damnation. So let's start at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. What did Jesus not come to do? What did he not come to do? The Bible tells us that he came, God gave his son to not condemn, but to save. Let's read that in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. When Jesus had been baptized by John the Baptist, he returned to his one of his home villages of Capernaum on the Sabbath day, and he walked inside the synagogue, and he was handed the scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he opened the scroll to chapter 61, starting from verse 1. And it says thus, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus stopped and closed the book at that point. So what he was uh, reading was his mission statement. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus took up the scroll of Isaiah, starting at chapter 61, and laid out what his mission statement for his first coming was. He says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to do what? To preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And lastly, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, notice in verse 2, he stopped just before the next clause in that uh, verse, which says, and the day of vengeance of our God. That was not a mistake. Jesus was declaring what his first coming mission statement was. And it was not at that point to declare the vengeance of our God. Now, there will be a time when he's coming to declare the vengeance of our God or the day of vengeance of our God. But in his first coming, none of those things that he says from verse 1 to verse 2 are in any sense condemnation. They are messages of deliverance. They are messages of healing. They are messages of liberation. They are messages of deliverance. Jesus did not come the first time to use any of those three words. Crino, crisis, or crema. He did not come to condemn. He came to deliver. So the next part of verse 2 says, And the day of vengeance of our God. That day is coming, but his first coming, and until he takes the church, it's this is his mission statement. This should be our mission statement to preach good tidings unto the meek, to send, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. That was Jesus' message. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died and rose again, and through his death, we can be saved. We can have eternal life. And of course, he made it explicit in John three seventeen. The Bible says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn and there's that word, crino, the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So in the, other, in the other words, in the present tense, literally, he didn't come this time to be judging. That's what the, the Greek tense means, crino. He did not come that first time to be judging, but that through him the world might be saved. That's why he came. Now, let's look in the Old Testament a little bit and see how this relates to God's plan of salvation and God's plan of justice. In Exodus 20, starting at verse 4, it says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. That was part of the law that they, the Jews were told they should not make any images because in that day and age and in that culture, there was a tendency to take an image and worship it. Anything that they made uh, like an image, they, they set up as idols and they worshiped. Leviticus 26 verse 1 tells us that too. He shall make no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall he set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 4.16 reinforces that point. It says, lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female. So we see that the law strongly prohibited making any kind of image. But, but if the law had stood, 
none of us could be saved. And it was God deciding to set aside the law that brought us deliverance. Under the law, the woman brought to Jesus should have been stoned. When they brought her to him, they said, Moses' law said that this woman should be stoned. So many times what we're praying for is for God, when we are asking for a miracle, what we're actually asking God to do is to break a law. Maybe it's a natural law, physical law, a biological law. Maybe according to the law of gravity, we should have died in that car accident or in the law of physics. Or maybe according to biology, the cancer should have killed us. When we pray for a miracle, what we are actually doing is asking God to break a law, either a natural law or a spiritual law. In our salvation, God had to break the law. He had to put aside the law. Why, Paul says, because it was weak through the flesh. So maybe you have not thought of this, but a miracle then is the breaking of a natural or spiritual law. And many times, the only way we can make it, the only way we can be saved is for God to break one of his laws. We see this uh, brought forth more, uh, most uh, eloquently in Scripture in Numbers. In the trekking of the Israelites out of Egypt and into the desert, there came a time when they started to grumble and complain about Moses' leadership and why he had led them into the desert. And because of that, the Lord allowed them to be bitten by fiery serpents. Let's read it. Numbers chapter 21, verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. He was in the role of an intercessor. And he went before the Lord and asked God for mercy and forgiveness. And what did the Lord tell him to do? Well, we just read three scriptures in the Old Testament that said under the law, they were never to make any kind of image. But here, for the purpose of salvation of the people and to set up the symbol of the future ending of the law, This is what God told Moses, Numbers 21, 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. He was to take some brass and melt it down and sculpt it into the form of a serpent and put it upon a pole. In other words, he was to make an image in direct contravention of the law, of the Ten Commandments. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it, shall live. Isn't that amazing? That it took a breaking of the law for there to be salvation for those who had sinned under the law. Verse 9. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass... He lived. Now, brass was the metal that represented judgment. It was the same metal that the um, the altar, the brazen altar on which the sacrifice was offered in the courtyard of the 
of the uh, temple and of the tabernacle was made. It was the same metal representing judgment. So when they looked upon the object of their judgment, they were saved. They were delivered. All they had to do was acknowledge and look at this brazen image. Now, in doing this, I can imagine Moses must have said, wait a minute, God, but, but you told us not to make an image. You told us not to make an image. You understand, for their salvation, God was setting up a symbol of the final getting rid of or dissolution of the law when Jesus came. Because Paul says what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. You see, Christ had to come and do for us. So in this symbol, the law was broken because Moses made a brazen serpent. He made an image that was held up and they looked upon it. It was the image of their sin. It was representing their sin. It's amazing the, the point that I'm making that it took the breaking of the spiritual law for there to be deliverance. Let's go back into Genesis and we're going to look at some other judgments that God had given. Remember the title of this uh, lesson is the three judgments. In Genesis 3.17, after God had uh, asked each one of the participants, starting with Adam and then with um, Eve and then with the serpent, he said, cursed is the ground. There was a judgment that was pronounced in the garden. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and also thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return." That was the first judgment in response to the breaking of God's word. Anytime we break God's word, we're breaking his laws. He had told them, you can can choose to eat freely of any tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat, because the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And as we have taught in previous lessons, their spirit covering died. And the rest of them was going to die that very day. But God had mercy and he created a temporary covering out of the skin of a coat of some animal. And he covered the outside and then there was a shedding of blood which was for the inside. So this was the first judgment that God pronounced upon mankind. But it was specifically just Uh, initially on Adam and his seed. But because of man's disobedience and continual disobedience, the Bible tells us that there were three uh, worldwide judgments that were prophesied. Let's let's read them. In in Ezekiel uh, 21, 25, it says, speaking about the Antichrist, it says, And thou profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come, when iniquity shall have an end. Thus saith the Lord God, remove the diadem, take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low and abase him that is high. Verse 27 refers to the three judgments. I will overturn 
overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it to him. Now, many of the prophecies of future revelations and uh, happenings are couched in mystical terms because they're only given to those who God wants to reveal it to. Now, salvation is not couched in any hidden terms. But when it comes to prophecy, it was given under the inspiration of God and is um, in, in many ways a parable that can only be revealed with the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to go into all of the three verses here, but verse 27 is speaking about three judgments, three uh, universal judgments that were predicted upon the earth by God. I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is, and I will give it to him. Of course, the, the one whose right it is, of course, is Jesus. So what this tells us is that there were three worldwide cosmic judgments determined on the earth. That number three. In Hebrew, it's shalosh. And it is the number of divine perfection. It's the number of resurrection because, of course, Jesus was resurrected on the third day. Jesus, in Revelation 1.8, describes himself with three terms. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, first term, which was, second term, and which is to come, third term. In terms of time, he describes himself with three terms. In other words, he inhabits eternity. He is the Almighty. And so that number three represents perfection. When the third occurrence has happened, then we have reached back into perfection. So we see this number always associated with God's future rule and divine perfection. Lazarus was resurrected after three days, modeling, of course, Jesus. Jesus said he could rebuild the temple, speaking of his body, in three days. Jesus fed uh, the 5,000 after three days that they were with him. Three times God called to Samuel. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Psalm fifty-five seventeen says, Evening, morning, and at noon. Th- three times will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So this study, we're going to look at the three judgments that were prophesied to come upon the earth. Of course, the first judgment, everybody knows that first worldwide judgment, and that's found in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Now we're going to come back to this concept of the breaking of the law and the need for a miracle. In Genesis 6 and verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. I have to believe that as God looks down upon this planet, he is grieving in his heart. The 
sheer wickedness, the inhumanity, the, the depravity, the complete disregard for God's creation. And by that I mean mankind. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast. The judgment, these three judgments, refer to the complete erasure or destruction of mankind. Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me. In other words, I'm sorry. I've changed my mind that I have made them. This is one of the five scriptures where it refers to God repenting or changing his mind and, of course, is the proof text that God gave us free choice and that God did not predetermine the outcome of those choices. Otherwise, there would be no need for him to change his mind. But he gave us free choice so that we could freely give him love. But mankind chose to disobey. Mankind chose to break his covenant. And because of that, in response to that, God decided to bring judgment upon the earth. And of course, that judgment came in the form of the flood where the fountains of the deep were broken up. Scientists have found that there's more water buried under the earth than there is in all of the oceans. There are fountains of the deep below. Back then, the earth was covered with a water vapor, a blanket of water. The air pressure on the surface was much greater than it is today. And that's one of the reasons why they lived so long, because the oxygen content content of the atmosphere was much higher. But the fountains of the deep and the, the water that was above in the heavens, the Shemayim, were broken up. They crystallized just like a cloud and the flood came and was upon the earth. And you, you know the story? It says that Noah found grace. Amen. God found one person and gave them unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. But as I preached before, it wasn't just grace that saved Noah. It was his obedience. Grace gives us the opportunity And faith and action gives us the result. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. That was the first judgment. The first judgment. But as I've said, the Bible speaks about three major uh, uh, mankind erasing judgments. The second judgment is prophesied or we can find traces of it in many scriptures. I'm just going to provide one of them for you tonight. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23. It's an interesting scripture. The prophet Jeremiah gives this vision. I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form and void. Amazing. He's using the terms that were used in Genesis before the creation of the earth. He says, and lo, it was without form and void. In the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled. And all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man. And all the birds of the heaven were fled. This is not speaking of the first creation. It's speaking of some cataclysmic event that erases mankind. 
I beheld and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. So this judgment was prophesied that there was going to be an earthwide devastating judgment. When God put the rainbow covenant, he told Noah that he promised he would never bring a flood upon the earth. He would never destroy the earth with a flood. The implication is, though, that there were other ways that he could destroy the earth in response to man's wickedness. The third judgment that is prophesied is that you can find examples in Isaiah chapter 34, verse 4, and all the host of heaven shall be dissolved. This third judgment does not just involve the earth, but includes the atmospheric heavens. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. This distinguishes it from just an earthly judgment because it involves more than just the earth, this third judgment. And all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth from the vine and as a falling fig from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea and upon the people of my curse to judgment. And of course, even in the New Testament, we have references to this in Second uh, Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a fervent, with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So we see that there are prophesied in Scripture that there were going to be three judgments. One of them came to pass. One of them came to pass. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, speaking of the third judgment, it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of the heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. This third judgment is, was prophesied sometime during the tribulation. And to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. We see that the timing of these judgments is also kind of interesting. The first judgment, the flood, came around 1600 years between 1,600 and 2,000 years after the creation of man. And it seems that the timing of these judgments are always tied to the third day or third millennia from the last one. The beginning of the the third millennia from the last one or, or at the end of the second millennia, so to speak. It seems that there was a judgment, that second judgment was about to come to pass when Jesus came into this world. How do we know that? Well, let's see what the scripture says in John chapter 8 verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. We talked about this last Tuesday. He that followeth me 
shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 12, 46, it says, I am come into the world, a light into the world, and whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. So the Bible tells us repeatedly that when Jesus came, he was the light of the world. He was the embodiment of truth. But the rejection of truth and light always leaves you in darkness and judgment. John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation. Here's that word again. That light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, said this in John 12.31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus is giving us a revelation. He came as light and as truth, as the way. He preached repentance. Why? What did he say? The kingdom of heaven was at hand. And what did the people do? They rejected him. When you reject truth and light, then comes darkness and judgment. Because of his rejection, Jesus was letting us know that that second judgment was about to fall. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Because they had rejected Jesus, judgment, worldwide judgment was about to fall. Isaiah 53 says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In John it says, chapter 1, he was in the world, the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. Again, when you reject truth, all you can have then is lies. When you reject light, all you are left with is darkness. Let's look at this again. And I'm going to put the translation of the words. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment. The crisis. It's the second word. Crino was the testing. We were being tested. Mankind was being tested when Jesus came. But now they've come to crucify him is the point of judgment, the crisis, the verdict. But there was one great thing. In each judgment we see God always offers a way out of grace. In the first judgment it said, now Noah found grace. In this judgment, the only way that it could be stopped because under God's law we were guilty, remember There had to be a breaking of the law. Jesus, in John 12, 32, the very next verse, he says, now is the judgment, the crisis, in other words, the verdict, the point where the decision is going to be made of destruction. But the very next verse says, but, and it's an implied but, if I be lifted up, here is God's grace, here is God's miracle, I will draw all. Now, in the King James Version, in many versions, it says men, but that's not actually in the Greek. It's it's an assumption. But what the scripture was really talking about 
if you put it in context, remember it says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. But if I be lifted up, he was going to take that judgment. He was going to take the sin, the disease, the guilt. That's what he came to do. He was going to take the verdict, the condemnation. John 3.18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Hebrews 12.2 says, looking unto Jesus. Remember they were told to look at the object of, that had become their sin, the, the snake. In the breaking of the Ten Commandments by building the brazen altar, they were saved. In Jesus being lifted up, all those who looked to him, Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. could be saved so he took the judgment that was going to fall and it never fell during his time but that doesn't mean it's not coming the power to judge that is to make that decision the crisis point to give the verdict was given to the son and because of that he chose to take it himself John 5.22, for the Father judgeth, krino, that means the testing, probations. No man, ha, no man but hath committed all judgment, that means the decision, unto the Son. So that's why when those men let the lame man down through the roof, he had the power and authority to say, Thy sins be forgiven. Luke chapter 5 verse 23. Whether it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say rise up and walk. But that he may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. Isn't that amazing? Let's go back to the previous verse. John 5.22, for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment. And in this word, it's the crisis, the, the decision point, the verdict to the Son. So whom the Son sets free is free indeed. All who look to him in faith and belief and trust and then will be obedient to him can be saved. Same thing with the woman brought in the act of adultery, John chapter 8, 10. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned, and it uses that word, katakrino, or damned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I. He had the power to condemn. He has forgiven us. 
He's saying to those who trust in him, those who have come to him in faith, neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, the real judge, the real judgment and the real judge, Jesus said, will be his words. John chapter 12, verse 47. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. John 12, 48. But he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. That's so um, predictive. That's so powerful because in Revelation, the image we see of the rider on the white horse is in fact called the word of God. Revelation 19.11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Jesus, when he read the scroll from Isaiah, he stopped in the middle of the verse. Because his first coming was not the day of vengeance of our God. When he comes back, though, as the Word of God, he will be coming to bring the judgment. And his name is called the Word of God on the armies which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Crino, crisis, and crema. It's amazing how the three Greek words tell a story on God's plan. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all not men directly, but he came to draw the judgment. The Bible said he was made sin who knew no sin. Now the scripture says that we can be made the righteousness of God. He took the judgment that was coming. All we had to do was just like the people in the desert was to look on the object of our sin. The breaking of the law. The breaking of the law. When Jesus died and he said it is finished, the curtain in the temple rent. The breaking of the law. We are so blessed if you have believed in him, if you understand his love, if you understand that he said he did not come to condemn, but that we should have life. We need to look unto Jesus as the author of Hebrews says, looking unto the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. We're going to close this Bible study, but I hope you will be encouraged, edified to know that he came to draw the judgment. We're not under any crino testing to prove ourselves. We're not under a crisis or the verdict because he took it. And we are not the crima, the criminal, 
because he has made us free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. If you, wherever you are right now, if you would join me in bowing your heart. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you came to draw the judgment that we deserved. We thank you that your word, hallelujah, gives us life. Lord, that this is not yet the day of vengeance, but is the day that you came to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that were bound. Hallelujah. Oh God, to release the captives. We thank you right now for your great mercy and, gr- and grace. Lord, we ask that you let our faith, Lord, stand upon your word, that we will respond, hallelujah, for your goodness and all that you have done, Lord, that we will be obedient like Noah to the saving of his family. Lord, that he went and did an act of faith by building an ark. Lord, help us to get into the the ark of your salvation. Lord, we thank you right now and we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.